Shalom Aleichem and welcome back to Sefer Makadim. Last time we took a brief detour from the endless battles and learned how Yehuda HaMakabi made an alliance with the Roman Republic. We'll pick up from where we left off at the end of chapter 7. When Yehuda slew the general Nicanor, Jews from villages all around poured in to successfully kill all the mercenaries and a yearly Chag was declared on the 13th of Adar. It doesn't take long, however, for word to reach Demetrius of his defeat and he is not going to take it lying down. He immediately sends his general Bakhridis, whom he recalled to Antioch, back into Judea, along with a gigantic army to retaliate against the Maccabim. Alchemist the Kohen Gadol meets him and joins forces, because don't forget, even though he's not as Hellenized as Menelaus was, he still sees the Maccabim as a bunch of fanatics who represent an obstacle to lasting peace. This, by the way, is in the year 3629 or 131 BCE, seven years after the beginning of the revolt. The gigantic Seleucid army marching to Judea via the Galil and massacre many Jews there. But their goal is the recapture of Jerusalem. Bachidis surrounds the city thinking to trap Yehuda inside. However, he learns Yehuda has already left the city with his men. So Bachidis turns around and leads his forces out towards Yehuda. Yehuda, in turn, sets out with his men to meet Bachidis in battle. And he encamps his forces in Elassa, a town north of Yerushalayim. Now don't forget that at this time the Hasidim have deserted Yehuda and he has been left with just his core group of 3,000 committed followers, the Maccabim. There's a disagreement between the Book of Maccabees and Josephus as to how many soldiers have come with Yehuda to this battle. The Book of Maccabees says all 3,000 of them came to the battle, while Josephus says only 1,000 men were present. What they do agree on, however, is that when the Jews see the gigantic Seleucid army encamped nearby, they become terrified and many of them slip away from the battlefield. Yehuda is left with just 800 men. When he sees how many men have deserted him, he is sorely distressed because the battle is imminent and he has no time to gather them together again. But nevertheless, he exhorts his men, Let us arise and fight our enemies, for perhaps we shall be able to smite them. But his men dejectedly tell him it's impossible. We haven't got a hope. We should flee now to save ourselves and return later with more soldiers. But Yehuda responds, Let not the sun ever see such a thing, that I should show my back to the enemy. Although this be the time that will bring me to my end, and I must die in this battle, I will rather stand to it courageously, and bear whatsoever comes upon me, than by now running away bring reproach upon my former great actions, or tarnish their glory. Yehuda's message is clear. If my time has come, I will face it, and I will not run away. They have no time to say anything else for Bakhridis' soldiers have emerged from their tents and are preparing to fight. Bakhridis arranges his army into a central body with a left flank and a right flank on either side. He himself was positioned in the right flank. Bakhridis commands his trumpeters to sound a blast on the trumpet. Yehuda's men also sound their shofarot, and the battle commences. At the start, Yehuda sees that Bakhridis and the strongest parts of the army are stationed in the right flank, so he takes his hardest men and leads them in a frontal assault towards the right-hand side of the enemy army. Their tactics work, and Bakhridis and that part of the army break ranks, and are forced to flee quite a distance with the Jewish fighters in hot pursuit. But when the left flank of the army see that the right-hand flank has been broken, they hurry after them, and end up surrounding the Jewish fighters, who now have the right flank of the Seleucid army attacking them from the front, and the left flank attacking from the rear. Not being able to fly, Yehuda and his army have no choice but to gather their weapons and fight the mercenaries tooth and nail who are closing in on them on all sides.
They fight like demons, slaying many, many of their enemies. But many of the Jews are slain as well. And at some point, Yehuda HaMakabi is wounded. He goes on fighting, but eventually the battle wound saps his strength and he falls down. And there on the battlefield, near Elasa, he gives up his soul to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and Yehuda HaMakabi is Nifta. The remnant of the 800 Jews, when they see their legendary commander lying still on the ground, flee. The Battle of Alassa began at daybreak and ended only at sunset, and the Jews have lost their leader. Shimon and Yonatan, two of Yehuda's remaining brothers, by way of a treaty with the Greeks, are able to recover Yehuda's body and carry it to Madi'in, where they bury him with his father, Matichiyaha ben Yochanan. Bnei Yisrael mourn him many days. This legendary warrior who raised them up from slavery under the Seleucids and restored Israel to its former glory. While Yehuda was alive, he struck fear into the hearts of all his enemies. But once word gets out that he is dead, the Maccabean revolt begins to come crashing down. All the Hellenists feel encouraged and begin to make trouble again. A famine strikes Judea, and many of the Torah observant Jews, who otherwise may well have stayed to fight, are forced to leave the country for Greece of all places, because the lack of bare necessities, combined with the oppression the Hellenists are causing them, is too much for them to bear. Of those Jews who do stay, conditions rapidly deteriorate even further because Bakhridis appoints the Hellenists to rule over Judea, and of course they set about hunting down the remnants of Yehuda's followers in order to turn them over to Bakhridis. They do catch many of the loyal Jews this way, gleefully handing them over to the general, who takes delight in killing them slowly and torturously. Conditions haven't been this bad since Bnei Israel returned from Babylon over 200 years previously. All Yehuda's good work seems to have unraveled. Torah Jews are being hunted down, they are without proper leadership, the Seleucid Empire once again has the upper hand. Seeing that if something doesn't change, the Torah will be destroyed from Israel, the few Maccabim who have yet evaded capture approach Yonatan, Yehuda's youngest brother, and they beseech him. Ever since your brother died, we have had no leader, no one like him, to go out and save us from our enemies. Will you be our leader in place of your brother, and fight our battles, and save us from this calamity that has befallen us? The people are asking Yonatan to be the leader in Yehuda's place. When Yonatan affirms that, just like Yehuda, he is ready to lead the people and die for them if necessary, the remaining Maccabim appoint him as general of the Jewish army. Now, word reaches Bakhridis that Yehuda's death has not ended the revolt, that there are still a handful of Jewish fighters who have not accepted defeat, and he immediately sets out to kill Yonatan and crush the last spark of Jewish rebellion. Word of this reaches Yonatan, and he, his two brothers, and their handful of remaining followers grab their possessions and flee east into the Judean desert and camp by the shore of the Dead Sea. When Bakhridis hears about this, he mobilizes his army and approaches the Jordan River, ready to annihilate Yonatan and his men. Yonatan knows that a battle with Bakhridis is inevitable, but before they do that, they have another pressing problem. They brought lots of their possessions with them when they fled into the desert. And during the battle, they won't be able to look after these possessions. So Yonatan sends his oldest brother Yochanan and a few companions off into the desert 
with all their possessions to speak with the Nabataeans. You might remember the Nabataeans from chapter 5. They were a Semitic people living in the desert east of Judea around this time, and they were on good terms with the Jews. Yonatan had ordered his messengers to request of the Nabataeans if they could deposit all their possessions with them until the confrontation with Batchides was over. It's quite likely the Nabataeans would have complied, but unfortunately, Yochanan never manages to meet with them. In the middle of their journey, Yochanan and his companions, laden with the Maccabim's possessions, are spotted by a group of bandits, the children of Yambri, who ambush them by a city called Medaba, steal everything they have, and kill Yochanan and all his companions. News of their brother's death reaches Yonatan and Shimon, who of course are distraught. But the chance to avenge their brother will not be long in coming, as we shall see. Meanwhile, Bakhridis has located the Maccabean camp, and he deliberately chooses to battle them on Shabbat, thinking perhaps that the Jews will refuse to fight, and he will be able to massacre them easily. Of course, Yonatan has seen this trick before, and has no qualms about fighting on Shabbat to save his people. But the situation does not look good. The Seleucids managed to corner the Jews, who are surrounded with the Jordan River at their backs, and the Seleucid army at their front and sides. So Yonatan turns to his men and exhorts them. We are surrounded, and the enemy comes to destroy us. Now let us pray to our God to grant us success, and then let us fight them with all we have, because our lives are at stake. Upon this, Yonatan and the Maccabin surge forward to meet the oncoming Seleucids, and Hashem grants them a miraculous victory allowing the handful of cornered Jews to slay around a thousand men. At one point, Bakhidis approaches Yonatan, who stretches out his hands to kill the other general, but Bakhidis anticipates this and dodges the blow. Clearly, Yonatan is proving himself more than capable of filling the leadership vacuum left by Yehuda. Once they are satisfied they have struck the enemy a sufficient blow to deter them from further fighting, Yonatan, Shimon and their men leap into the Jordan River, swim its breadth, and escape into the wilderness to the east. The Seleucids do not follow, rather Bakhridis returns to Jerusalem and begins repairing and strengthening the fortifications in many of the major Judean towns, like Betzur, Gazera, and most of all the Acre in Jerusalem, and stocking them with supplies and mercenaries to ensure they can cause as much aggravation to the Jews as possible. He also kidnaps the sons of some of the most important Jews in Jerusalem and shuts them up in the Acre as hostages to ensure that the Jews won't fight back. Yonatan and the Maccabim will come to rescue them, but right now they are far away in the desert and dealing with a pressing family matter. Someone informs Yonatan and Shimon that the children of Yambri, the bandits who slew their brother, are making an illustrious marriage. One of their young men is marrying the daughter of a very important man from the city of Medeva. They immediately have the same idea. This will be the perfect opportunity to avenge their brother. So they and their companions journey to Medeva, where the marriage will take place, and hide themselves in the nearby mountains to watch. Soon they see the bride and bridegroom coming forth amid a huge company of friends carrying drums and musical instruments. Then Yonatan and the Maccabin reveal themselves, emerge from the mountains and begin to slaughter everyone in the wedding party. They succeed in killing around 400. The remainder flee. The Maccabin then take all the spoils, of which there are many. As the text says, thus the marriage was turned into mourning and they have fully avenged their brother. Does this seem excessive? I don't know. First of all, it does seem midakanegad measure for measure. The Yambri took lives and plundered possessions, so the Maccabim responded with more of the same. Secondly, Yalatan and Shimon had their brother's honour to avenge, and they had to send a message to the Yambri, 
Know who you're dealing with. If you kill our brother, we will kill all of you without hesitation. This is the Middle East we're dealing with, you know. It ain't Europe here. Anyway, now they have avenged their brother, Yonatan and Shimon return to Judea, and to their surprise, they find it rather peaceful. Once he finished building up the many garrisons across Judea, Bakhidis decides his mercenaries would adequately control the region without him, and that his presence wasn't necessary. So he returned to Demetrius in Antioch. Judea was therefore allowed two years of respite. However, after this time, the Hellenists noticed that the Maccabim have returned to Judea and are living quietly, and they eagerly send a message to Demetrius, saying, Send Bakhidis to us! Yonatan and his men have let their guard down. If we act now, we can swoop down and kill them all in one night. Demetrius complies, sending Bakhidis back to Judea with a great army, and the latter writes letters to all the Hellenists, ordering them to bring Yonatan to him. The Hellenists set out to trick Yonatan into accompanying them so they can lead him to Bakhidis, but they are unable to, because Yonatan has caught wind of the plot, and very carefully guards himself against falling into any of their traps. Enraged and convinced the Hellenists are wasting his time, Bakhidis takes 50 of the chief Hellenists and kills them. Yonatan is still very much afraid of Bakhidis, however, and leads his men away to a decayed village named Bet-Bashan in the desert, which they proceed to build up and turn into a fortress to use as a defence against Bakhidis. As soon as Bakhidis hears about this, he immediately leads his army there and lays siege to the place. The siege lasts for many days, but Yonatan remains courageous and does not give up. Now by this point, the Torah Jews know the revolt did not die with Yehuda, and that Yonatan is commanding it, and many of them are now loyal to him. So Yonatan comes up with a clever tactic. He leaves his brother Shimon inside the city to continue the fight against Bakhidis, and he himself sneaks out to gather those Jews who are loyal to him. He gathers a great many of them, and together they sneak back to Bet Bashan, while Bakhidis is still besieging the city, unaware a newly formed Jewish regiment is approaching from behind. By the time he does become aware of this, it's too late. At night time, Yonatan and his men fall upon the Seleucid army surrounding the city and slaughter a great many of them. Inside the city, Shimon realizes what has happened and that this must be Yonatan returned who is killing the Seleucids, so he leads his men out of the city, burns the war engines the Seleucids were using to besiege the city, and kills even more of them himself. When Bakhidis sees himself surrounded by enemies in front and behind, he is completely dismayed and confused as to the sudden collapse of his siege, but he decides the Jewish Hellenists who misled him about Yonatan must be to blame, so he kills even more of them. If possible, he resolves to return in the future and finish the siege, but he's tired and frustrated and really has just had enough of dealing with these Jews. When Yonatan catches wind of this, he pounces on the opportunity and sends ambassadors to Bakhidis with the following message. You release the Jewish prisoners from the Acre and leave Judea and will release the Seleucid captives we took and there shall be no more war between us. Bakhidis thinks this is a pretty decent way to wrap things up and he readily agrees to Yonatan's terms. So Bakhidis leads his men out of Judea and this is the end of his role in the Maccabean revolt for after this he never enters Judea again. The last verse in the chapter describes the end of this phase of the conflict with the words and the sword ceased from Israel. Yonatan takes advantage of this peace and goes to live in a city named Machmas, a town northeast of Yerushalayim where his namesake, Yonatan ben Shaul, once surprised a great Pelishti army and achieved a great victory there for his people. There, 
Aoyangata begins to govern the people during peacetime, punishes the Hellenists throughout the country, and thereby purges Judea of Hellenism. So that brings us to the end of chapter 9, in which the Maccabean revolt, which was in danger of crashing into oblivion following Yehuda's death, was brought back from the brink by Yonatan. We'll resume next time with chapter 10, in which a new player will come to contend with Demetrius.